Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. McLaren's 2019 season has been a story of revival after some horrendous times from 2015 to 2018 with a Farrago of the Honda years and then the exposure of the weaknesses in the team that stretched far beyond the engine when it switched to Renault last year. But this season has been a very, very different story with McLaren on the brink of securing fourth in the Constructors' Championship and dominating the midfield battle. Quite some turnaround. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to delve into the reasons for McLaren's rebirth and the chances of this being a step towards returning to the front, first is Ben Anderson. Now, you got quite used to uh, talking on, on previous Autosport podcasts about McLaren's struggles, of course, so it's uncharted waters for you to come here and be talking about McLaren in a positive sense, given things really have, have turned in the right direction this year. Yeah, it makes a nice change. I lived the uh, the darkest period of McLaren's recent history um, in the F1 paddock and uh, while it was a very interesting story to follow it was quite sad to see that team you know punching well below its weight um, and it's nice to see them getting some way towards being back on track this year. And also joining me is Glenn Freeman getting a, a second podcast outing in uh, in basically a week which is which is unusual but like last time we have to introduce you as reeling from yet another defeat for your beloved Tottenham Hotspur. Seven goals, was it, that, uh, that small club Bayern Munich put past you? Yep, another defeat to a minnow. Uh, I assume the only reason I'm on this podcast is so you could bring that up, Ed. So I'll basically, any time that, well, the next time we have a humiliating defeat, which will be quite soon, I'm sure, I'll make sure I'm not around and available for a podcast. Goals yeah, from an ex-Arsenal player too. We'll, 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 Let's move on. <laughs> we'll probably have, have you on on Monday then. I would have thought, I can't, uh, from the way things are going. But yeah, let, well, let's, let's uh, get to it. Now, Ben... As we said, you're all over the struggles of McLaren in the in the Honda era. That carried over to last year, the first year with Renault. How much credit do you think McLaren deserves for returning to the front of the midfield this season in, in one bound? Yeah, they deserve a decent amount of credit, I would say. This 
this season feels like McLaren going to almost year zero, if you like. Um, this is the bare minimum you expect from a team of you know that stature, that history, that level of resource, that experience, that quality of people. But we should say this is where they expected to be in 2017. And in fact, they expected to be a little bit better than where they are now in 2017 in terms of pushing on and fighting for podiums with the likes of Red Bull or the slower of the top three teams on a given weekend. And they're they're not at that level yet. Um, But the most important thing is that McLaren have learned from the dark times of Honda. That period was characterised by them firmly blaming all their ills on the engine and the immaturity in that project and the unreliability and the poor design and all of those things were true um, but it masked some evolving flaws in their own team structure and how they went about designing their car. Um, They could have performed a lot better in 2018 I think if they got the front wing design right it seemed to all come down to that really and I guess really much of their big improvement in performance this year comes from simply correcting that mistake and probably the the rule changes around the front wing designs and simplifying them helped McLaren out because that was the area they were really really struggling with and that's the area where everybody had a reset this year and that allowed them to 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 reset themselves as, as a result really isn't it if the rules change around the part of the car you're struggling with but but in fairness if you're struggling with that part it's because your research and development underpinning it so in some ways if you have a change if you're doing things wrong you could it's just another opportunity to do them wrong again isn't but, it but, so they, I, but they did really understand i think why yeah. they did the 2018 wing wrong and this just validated that uh that process of uh picking apart their mistakes if you like the key thing for me is how quickly they've turned it around i think as ben hinted at there going to the renault engine and having Red Bull and the Renault Works team as benchmarks exposed just how weak they'd become on the chassis side. And to turn that around so quickly shows that what they told us at the end of last year about we have worked this out, we just can't fix it on this car, was true. And they've done a great job with how they've developed this car as well. If anything, you'd say that you know they can, they've continued to improve. They haven't just got to fourth and then kind of sat there I think every every weekend almost now you feel like yeah the McLarens are right there again and it's one of those things in in the jobs we do you have to look at sort of pictures of race starts quite a lot um, yeah. for use on websites or in videos or whatever and um, you've just noticed that more and more through the, the latter part of the season the orange cars are a lot closer to the front of the pack than the than we'd ever got used to having them and. That's the really big thing for me is just, is just the speed with which they've they've recovered it um, because we've got to say that by the end of last year, you know, there was no question that was a bad Formula One car. And the bottom line is the best possible thing they could have done this year in big picture results was be at the front of the midfield. It wasn't credible that no team can go from kind of in the midfield to, to the top to breaking into the top three in one bound. So they, they've kind of done the maximum possible job this year so from that regard it's uh, it's all credit to them and after quite a few years of kind of bluster and not quite hitting the targets for them to have they've exceeded my expectations certainly because they, they've done they've done the maximum possible so all credit to them for that 
Yeah, and I think there's a key point, actually. You just talked about Ben having to go through the, the pain of the Honda years. And during that time, because McLaren talked such a good game all the time, we were really hard on them when they were underperforming. And we remained hard on them last year when they became exposed without the, the cover story of it all being Honda's fault. Sometimes we got criticism for that, but it was absolutely valid. But that also means that, as Ben said, it's kind of refreshing to be talking about them in a positive light. And this is completely deserved praise for McLaren as well. It's, they've done a really good job in a really short space of time. And it's going to be fascinating to see what they can do next. Yeah, very, very much so. And it, it kind of gives them that platform, as you said. It's a year zero thing, isn't it? That, that kind of gives them that that state of equilibrium. I don't really feel they've had a feeling of kind of equilibrium and things just being right for quite a few years, even stretching back beyond the Honda years. Because 2014 was a bit of a strange one with obviously Mercedes works deal. They, they obviously they were no longer a Mercedes works team. They're a customer and they, they were kind of moving away from that towards Honda. And then they made the strange decision in 2013 to do an all-new car concept for the last year of a reg cycle, having had a very strong car in 2012. So it's been a long time since that. There's been that sense of kind of normality. And it's been, it's been a quite, in the best possible way, quite a normal season for McLaren. They're generally at the front of the midfield. Their drivers do a good job. They're pretty good at, if they start up there, getting to the end of the race. They're putting upgrades on the car, Spain upgrade, the Singapore upgrade. They're bolting things on and they are working good starts they're getting regularly among the, among the better starters uh, so just everything just seems to work which is the, the real positive and at least if everything works you get towards the front by just putting a few percent on everything over the years yeah it feels like there's a lot more stability at that team now um, which they haven't had for for many seasons stretching right back to that period you mentioned ed and that gives them a platform to build on that's the crucial thing Every, and I think everyone will feel in that team like they can take some confidence from this year as well. Um, you know, they've they've been through the ringer so much that even if you've got um, some of the same or largely the same personnel um, behind that operation, it's so easy to lose confidence when you're chopping and changing engines, the results aren't coming, the team's getting criticism, drivers come and go, managers come and go, um, and you don't get the best out of yourself. But it feels like the... The structure they have in place now is much more humble about the way it goes racing. It doesn't over-promise and under-deliver. It under-promises and hopes to over-deliver, which is the right way around to have things. And you can just feel that team slowly building its momentum back, getting its confidence back. It'll be great, you know, going back to those pictures you mentioned, Glenn, of seeing those orange and blue cars um, towards the front of the grid. Um, in recent races, they've even been able to race some of the underperforming top cars um, Valtteri Bottas having to battle his way past science, I think it was, in Sochi um, before um, Pierre Gasly was replaced at, at Red Bull. Carlos Sainz was having a good go at beating him in the in the Drivers' Championship and um, that will be a really encouraging sign for that team as well that, um, okay, there's a very, very long way to go in terms of incrementally closing that gap if, if, if they even can do to the, the top three teams who are so far ahead at the moment. But just to be picking off the odd car for a bit of a race will just f give everyone the sense that you know they they are potentially catchable. And Science has got that nice target of sixth place in the drivers' championship. That's really a, a key target for him. Obviously, it's slightly distorted by the fact Red Bulls had drivers who've had half a season in in Red Bull each. But there's, there's a good battle going on there. Gasly's still got it at the moment. But I think it'll come down to him or Albon probably that will uh, will get it. So that's a nice little uh, subplot there. Well. 
Glenn, we only talked about this briefly on our Russian review podcast, but it's well worth delving into a little bit more. McLaren's got a Mercedes engine deal from 2021, obviously moving away from Renault, going back, kind of completing this this full circle, isn't it? They went away from the Mercedes deal because they weren't the works team and that they felt they had to go with Honda because then they could be the works team. That all fell apart. And now they've gone back to Mercedes for, for 2021. So what do you make of that decision? I think it's a really, really smart decision. And it tells us a lot about the changes Ben was talking about in terms of the mood and the culture around McLaren as a team and probably as a company now. You know, that you to be prepared to go back to Mercedes engines after the years they've had away, the reasons they left, the struggles they've been through, you've got to be able to set aside all ego and, and not make it personal and just look at it as from a race team with all the options available to us, what is the best option? What is the best engine we can put in the back of the car? Who can we have the best relationship and cooperation with? What is going to allow McLaren, ignoring everyone else for a moment, what is going to allow McLaren to have the best package from 2021, which would be a really important season because as good as they've done in turning things around under this rules package, they'll be acutely aware that they need to get the big overhaul of 2021 assuming it is a big overhaul, um, right. And that's going to be their, their main opportunity. So I like the the messaging about rem- just removing some of the possible doubts, removing any other areas of weakness. Because if they went into 21 with, say, a Renault engine and there's still doubts over exactly where Renault sits compared to the other three manufacturers, then McLaren could be there going, have we built a brilliant chassis? You know, we can only judge ourselves against the Enstone team. Uh, instead, they're going to be like, right, that's what the Mercedes works team is doing. How close are we to them? How many headaches can we give them? And I'd imagine that even though the management that's there now and the people who have taken this decision are not the people who decided to walk away in 2014, they would have had to think long and hard about how's this going to look? How is it going to be perceived that, as you said, Ed, we've come full circle, that, that, that you know, that circular journey has been a horrendous one really. And they'd have had to take a deep breath on behalf of McLaren and its history almost to decide, right, this is the right thing to do. It's worth having people unpick the history or maybe what a bad decision it was to leave in the first place. Let's just look ahead and go in the right direction for once. It's a sign of the true ambition of McLaren and that it's still there despite all the other changes that have happened because as Glenn was mentioning, that is the ultimate benchmark, isn't it? By taking an engine from Mercedes, there are no hiding places. That team is winning championship after championship, setting the standard. You put yourself into that spotlight by running that same engine package and you say to yourself, right, we're not going to be Racing Point or Williams. We are going to go after Mercedes. And I, I I was quite surprised actually that it was even possible when McLaren were looking to get out of the Honda deal originally, their first option was to pick up a Mercedes customer engine deal and they wanted the engines that in theory were available after Manor exited Formula One and Mercedes pushed back and said, well, we don't have capacity anymore to supply an extra team. It really cost us in 2016. We had too many reliability problems that particularly on Lewis Hamilton's car. Uh, then McLaren got 
uh, the previous McLaren management got a bit antsy about uh, will we definitely get the same spec? Yeah, okay, the rules now mandate you have to have identical hardware, but there are always things you can do with fuel and mapping. They felt they were going to get a lesser version of the engine. So I didn't know, I couldn't foresee that those problems would necessarily go away. But um, nevertheless, I think if you take that paranoia out of it um, and you accept that you're not going to be able to get a Ferrari engine deal over the line because of you know clashes in other parts of those businesses this represents the the correct next step for mclaren in terms of the engine package renault were really the only port in a storm for them in terms of getting out of honda and even though mclaren has enjoyed a decent step in performance this year and renault have played their part in that that engine is a lot uh, better than it was in terms of pure performance those niggling doubts about reliability and longevity just always remain and you could see at spa you know to lose one car before the start of the race and to lose another car on the final lap when you're on for a great result you know that's enormously frustrating and at this stage of the season you wouldn't be expecting that from you know a a a proper um, reliable engine package so McLaren will know by going back to Mercedes they're going to get basically the best reliability in the business and it would just be down to them and their new structure to, to to deliver the business in terms of the car. I think on that topic of there not being a customer deal there before when there is now might be something to do with the change at the top of Mercedes and a slight change in policy there that's made that, uh, that more viable. Uh, we should say we have seen changes in, in management in the team and although a lot of the change in performance has been affected by the same people who are already there, for the longer term stuff, we have got the change in team principal. Well, team principal coming in, Andreas Seidel, James Keane as technical director. Now, Andreas Seidel in particular is a very interesting character. Obviously, he's had a Porsche in, in WEC, lots of experience in Formula One with BMW. He's what I'd call just a very, very good engineering racing team man, and that he gets it. He's been very, very clear in trying to lay out a, a kind of way of strategic thinking for the long term. So they did commit earlier this season to refurbing the wind tunnel at Woking, which they have not used themselves for quite a few years. It's a long lead time project. It's not something that you green light it one day and you're you're there running it the next week. It's a thing that you sink investment into it and that pays you off down the line. So they've been willing to do that. The Mercedes is part of that same strategic thinking. And I think Andreas Seidel has been important in that in terms of coming into the team, looking at it, and in harness with James Key and people who are already there who known what they would have liked to have done, and to really look at the big picture things they can do to put themselves in a position down the line. I think that's that's very, very uh, important. And, and I don't necessarily think it that says that the previous leadership, obviously Zach Brown is still there, but his role was always meant to be perhaps broader than running a race team, should we say. He's there for the, the wider McLaren picture, and although he obviously knows racing very well, he's not kind of an engineering team boss if you say that's what Seidel uh, brings and, and I think he's been Andreas Seidel has been very very impressive in what he's he's brought to that team just the way he thinks and talks and analyses the situation it shows that a character like that can make a difference it looks like they finally put some more round pegs in round holes doesn't it I think you're right that Brown was probably seen too much as a, a front man for the entire team when that was never supposed to be his role and I, I've already got the impression that he's been able to back off from that. Even if it was just perception, there are other people now that can be put front and centre of speaking on behalf of the race team and and making these these key decisions. And clearly, McLaren did need a cultural change because it's one thing to bring in sensible people, but you're 
ownership, leadership, management or whoever have to be prepared to to listen to them and to give them the authority to make the changes they want to make. And that was maybe something that would have been missing in the past as well. If McLaren didn't have its structure right, you could get someone sensible in, they can see all the problems, but you don't necessarily let them fix them. And now it feels like that's the direction they have gone in. You know, at the most basic level, I think it got mentioned at the weekend, didn't it, that oh, Seidel's come in and he's been influential on refurbing the wind tunnel and getting Mercedes engines. And at its most basic level, when you boil that down, was there nobody else at McLaren that could work out that you might want to do up your wind tunnel and get the best engine but, you can get? But you've got the wind tunnel is a great example because for the wind tunnel, you've got to have the mindset of really looking long term. You're not firefighting. You're not just trying to put out that fire. You've kind of put out the fires and then you can start thinking about laying the foundations. And I think that's... It's they not, clearly weren't thinking that way, were they? Exactly. They, and in some ways, they weren't able to. There were fires to fight that had to be had to be dealt with. But Usually in the back half of the car. Well, yeah, that's very true. But I think it's good because it's very, very easy for if you're running a race team to look very short-term. And running anything, you look too short-term. And often, there are things that create short-term pain, but for real long-term gain. And that's what the wind tunnel is. You know, if... If Andreas Seidel was worried about the fact he might not be there in a couple of years to benefit from the wind tunnel, and if, if he was thinking from a, oh, well, I, I want to make sure that I'm showing I'm doing stuff kind of thing, he might have done something else. But I just like the fact that it, it's it's purely focused on doing what is best for the wider prospects of the race team. And I think that's very positive, and that reflects well on a culture right down from the top, actually, that is is thinking and making the making the right moves and allowing people to make those decisions rather than just the to create the situation that Montezemolo used to create at Ferrari, where it's kind of, right, improve tomorrow. And they're so busy trying to do a bit better tomorrow that they can't do much, much better six months down the line or a year down the line. And it embodies, again, that realisation of where they actually are as a team and how long, in terms of many years, it will take realistically for them to get back to where they feel they belong. And it also marks kind of the final line, if you like, under the Ron Dennis era which a lot of that short-termism, I think, sprung from. You know, he built that team up into a modern juggernaut, if you like, and it all started to unravel at the kind of end of the V8 era into the, the V6 hybrid era, and it was panic moves at every point after that. Oh, we've got Mercedes engines, but we're not at that level. They must be screwing us over on the engine. We're not getting the same. We need, we need, we need something else. We need to be a works team. We can't win the championship without being a works team. That was the mantra that was trotted out consistently in the, uh, the early period of hybrid engines. They do this deal with Honda and that's a disaster. And then it's trying to patch up things around that for year after year and maximum pressure on trying to build a car that can take on the, the top teams because as soon as the engine turns around we need to be there because that's where we should be uh, and it just season after season you just keep tripping yourself up uh, slipping on banana skins you've laid for yourself around the factory and now all of all of that uh, culture if you like all the people that were brought in under Ron Ron's obviously long gone now all the people under him are gone this marks a true reset if you like in the way McLaren approaches Formula One and it is all about looking over the top at the horizon beyond and saying you know we're, we're actually miles away from where we want we want to be and we have to put a lot of serious um, plans in place that aren't going to happen 
overnight as you say Ed you know the wind tunnel isn't going to pay off next year or the year after but there are other things they can do in the meantime um, that then will lead them hopefully in the right direction. I do feel the listeners need to know that when you made that point about peering over the top you were very committed to it you did a whole peering over. You, I really hope tri- the audio does justice to just how far he peered. He did peer he was a, he was a good like half meter higher and he, cre- he created raised eyebrows he created too. what he was peering over with his hand it was a it was a very uh, it was a very exciting. We, have to, we should do a video of that uh, later so people can appreciate it. Anyway, we I should I, be I, filming the podcast, shouldn't exactly. we? Exactly. I felt people needed to know how committed Ben was to that bit. Yeah, that's amazing. I show no such level of commitment. But one thing I would like to say, uh, lastly, on the engine side is that it's very easy now to say leaving Mercedes was a disaster. Honda years were a disaster. Um, they were a bit rubbish when they went to Renault. But I think in hindsight, if you look at each decision, trying to remember what it was like at the time you can kind of justify each move. Like There, there was some logic. The Honda move made perfect sense, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, Everyone there, there, there was some logic. Despite, you know, everybody knew during 2013, Mercedes is miles ahead on its development of the 2014 engine. And that is probably going to wipe the floor of everyone. Yeah, we're all screwed, basically. So yeah. what do we do? <laughs> but um, so you could say, well, why did McLaren want to get away from that? They'd have had the advantage. But... At the time, you were thinking, this is a team that's been a works team for a very long time. They've lost that status. Uh, the problem, really, was the almost bravado that they presented that decision with. If they just said, look, you know, we've been downgraded to customer status. We fancy forging our own path with Honda. We're going to work with them. Let's let's see how it goes. We like the idea of being a works team again. It's going to take a long time. Yeah, they might have got a bit more grace, but instead, you know, Ron's talking about, you know, winning straight away. Domination. Back. Yeah, domination. Not helped by Arisan saying before they come in, we want to be at Mercedes level straight away. Yeah. So both sides were just stoking those fires. Yeah, it just shows how, how clueless they really were. But then the decision to get out of the Honda deal when they did, everyone says, oh, but look, Honda have done quite well in the last two years. So McLaren left at the wrong time. But, I made total sense it at the time. It made total they did sense it, at the time. Testing was a disaster. And yeah. they probably they needed to go through that process so they could turn the spotlight on themselves well, as well. Both sides needed the split as well. I don't think Honda would be in the position it is now if it had stayed with McLaren. So that one made sense. And Renault really the only realistic option at that point. But it gave them it gave them interest in benchmarks, as I said, in Red Bull and Renault, without giving them the ultimate benchmark. You know, you could feel quite far away at that point if your benchmark was Mercedes. But Red they, Bull was the perfect benchmark at the time, wasn't it? Because yeah. at that point, Red Bull was still talked up as having pretty much the best chassis. And McLaren always benchmarked their Honda year chassis against Red Bull. Somewhat inaccurately, it would appear. You know, they were constantly telling us how great their car was. But we now know, as we sort of suspected at the time, they were just, because the engine was bad anyway, they were bolting on downforce and being really quick in the corners or the slow sectors. And then Alonso goes and speaks to the media and says, oh, look how quick I am through this really slow bit. And everyone's going... Chassis, chassis must be brilliant. Come on, and Honda. <laughs> when they had to be a bit more efficient with their downforce, suddenly it, it, they didn't really know what they were doing. So I think all the decisions, looking back through that chain, there was logic behind them. But ultimately, this is the most sensible decision they could have taken at this point. Get back to Mercedes and focus on continuing to improve your car and continuing to make yourself a very sharp race team. So having said all of this, Ben... Does this mean McLaren can get back to the front? It's making the right moves. It still aspires to be a front-running Grand Prix team and to be winning races and join the big three or make it a big four or whatever. Big question. So is it now on a trajectory to, to do that? Yeah, I think it's certainly on the right trajectory. Whether 
ultimate ambition will be achieved. It's impossible to know, isn't it? There's, it's so it's so far down down the road still. I mean, it's still not as big as the big three in terms no. of just the resources and all the time that you're struggling and you're having to fight fires and chop and change certain things in emergency circumstances if you like you're you're losing that focus on the bigger picture on the small little things that you can do around the operation to upgrade or do we need to add people in this department that we don't normally think about do we need to be strategizing around this developing technology suddenly you're four or five years down the road and your rivals have been doing that because the pure performance parts of their business are working fine, so they just keep ticking along, and you can you can look a bit broader. McLaren haven't been doing that, so they're catching up. And of course, we know even though they they're doing the right things and investing in the right areas, yeah, the wind tunnel is a big statement. Mercedes engine deals are a big statement. Uh, you can't catch up uh, the investment that other better funded teams or bigger teams have been making in people, technology, IP. In the meantime, it's actually even harder with the way the rules are going. People think the cost cap is going to help the middle team, the middling teams and the smaller teams. But what it does is it bakes in the advantage the big teams already got mm. because that all, all covered, the research and the learning and the understanding you've got to do, particularly when it comes to something really complex like the the whole interaction of the front end of the car with steering lock on and getting the getting the front end exactly at the level you want it, etc. And the you know that's really really complicated stuff. It takes a lot of time and investment, and actually. If you restrict what the the smaller teams can do, then sometimes that actually works against them. That's a big question mark as well. The the budget cap, because McLaren have publicly stated many times that they're hanging a lot of their hopes on the budget cap working out in favour of smaller teams and pegging back the opposition. You know, they hope whether it comes to pass or not uh, remains to be seen that it will bring Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull back towards McLaren's level. And it, it might do in some areas, but if those other areas that aren't covered or can't really be policed because it's too late, um, that baked in advantage, as you call it, if that's too great, then they'll, they'll, they'll get closer, but they may always be fighting with one hand tied behind their back. It's also extremely difficult to make up that, that gap because the, the performance in terms of, if you look at lap time percentages, it's about 0.9% from the midfield to the front not dissimilar to what Renault's gap was last year. But although on paper that doesn't sound very much, and it isn't in terms of lap time, but that it, it, every kind of second you gain, the next second gets exponentially harder to find. And it, it, it feels like it's a small step, but the, it just gets so much more difficult. You have to spend more and learn time, more and understand more to, yeah. to take each tenth back from from that. So that that's where it gets really, really, really difficult. It's almost that they've done a great job to get to the front of the midfield, but that's actually the easiest part of yeah. the journey. Doesn't say, doesn't mean it's easy. Well done to them for doing it, but they've they've done the first hard thing, and now it's onto the even harder. Yeah, thing. now the real work starts, and you know also that progress towards the top three or actually catching the the top three relies on you making constant improvements every year, making every decision correct. You know, there's every chance that McLaren in one season's time, two, three, might make a mistake, might slip back. They could get the 21 regs, which are a wrong. great opportunity, wrong. And like then suddenly you're on the back foot. Renault this year, you know, you mentioned, you know, Renault close to within about 0.9% of the top three last season before the rules change. And then this this season they've gone backwards. So 
there's no guarantee even if you're you're on the right path that you can keep making the the you know the correct steps ultimately with the 21 changes closer and closer on Ben's horizon that he's looking at over the top of are you looking at that now I'm not tall enough I can't see it um McLaren this is not entirely in McLaren's hands if if we knew we we're going to have five years let's say of F1 tinkering with the regulations but keeping everything else about it like the payment structures and, and all that the same they would say right we're at this point and now we're going to have to really chip away what we don't know yet is how big a difference 2021 is going to make on track and off track so it could shortcut the process for McLaren if 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 the rules and all the other things that are going to be in the contracts everyone's got to sign if 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 F1 builds itself for that next era around bringing those teams back that makes McLaren's life easier as Ben said providing they continue to get it right if all those shoots of progress that we're being told about from behind the scenes on the F1 side don't happen and what we end up with is actually quite a stale version of changes for 2021 then it's going to take a lot longer so McLaren it must be quite a hard position they've got themselves into the best position to be the team most likely to take advantage of the changes that are coming up but they don't yet quite know exactly how much work they've got to do to achieve it the key is I think they have to look at 21 as an opportunity but I think they have to not look at it as the opportunity because maybe the the rules change there is coming a tiny bit too early given how long it's going to take I think if they can keep putting one foot in front of the other being a little bit better next year if you keep getting a little bit better each year eventually you'll get there but I think what they need to not do is just kind of bet the farm on being there in 21 because a lot of these long-term strategic decisions be first year back with the Mercedes engines things to learn there the wind tunnel obviously is is not a, the work of a moment so phasing all that in will be a challenge so it's it would be nice, and I'm sure they'll be hoping that they can do something big. But I, I think to suddenly think McLaren will be a championship team in 2021 was, is is asking a hell of a lot of them. And I think it needs to be a step, but not a not a, a sudden one to when they're catapulted back to 1988 revisited or something like that, because that's that's probably not going to happen. And that's with them making all the right moves as they are uh, at the moment. Now, Ben, one thing that. Uh, always crops up when McLaren is mentioned is the name Fernando Alonso. His name's no. briefly been mentioned on this pod- podcast, yeah. But is he an F1 driver? He used to be, yeah, 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 he used to be. Uh he's uh, more more Dakari now. That's his, oh, okay. uh, his kind of a, a approach. But he's a new Kimi Raikkonen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Having a, having a few years off, but given the effectiveness of Carlos Sainz Jr. and Lando Norris, the whole Alonso thing seems to have kind of fallen away now. It was just such an obsession, wasn't it? Do we keep him? How do we convince him that everything's going to work? And there was this just desperation to to keep hold of seen, what's seen as a star asset. But actually, it's not really been a problem, has it, losing Alonso? And in fact, in some ways, it's probably made things a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, absolutely. That's fair. Um, you know, Alonso remains one of the gold standard drivers, to use a phrase that you use often, Ed. In Formula One, even well, though he's, he's not there. He's outstandingly good, isn't he? He is, yeah. And, you know, you can see why McLaren uh, moved uh, to sign him in the first place based on what they hoped the Honda project would bring. Uh, because if that had all worked out as intended, you have a plug-in-and-play driver of world championship winning pedigree and potential every season. Uh, the trouble is McLaren's uh, cars fell well short of... Uh, the standard that Alonso would expect and that just creates extra pressure when you've got a driver there who is only motivated by winning and is always going to be turning the screw on you and your partners um, and that does damage 
you know when you're when you're not achieving uh, what you expect in terms of people's confidence and the relationships between different parties keeping alonso on side was i think a good idea in, if the renault thing had turned out to be unbelievable and last year's cars a bit last year's car had been amazing and the engine fantastic um and you could see actually they've they've somehow not only jumped to the front of the midfield but Actually, it looked like they could bridge the gap and win the odd race that they expected to in 2017, but it was unrealistic. And um, talking to McLaren uh, in the summer, uh, when you know a lot, the Alonso question reared its head again, and you know he had this ambassadorial role and he'd done some testing, and everyone was wondering, well, you know, where's this leading? Is it just fizzling out? Is he going to stay on board in some capacity? Are they looking to bring him back? Obviously, McLaren nipped it all in the bud by saying, no, we're committed to Science and Norris for. 2020 at least um, so no way back in for Alonso and I think the team would admit they're just they're not ready yet for a driver of Alonso's standing you know part of this reset to year zero if you like and accepting that you're a midfield team now and you're not ready to fight at the front uh, requires you to have drivers that perhaps also aren't ready for that you know they Science and Norris fit much better with where McLaren is at. And that's no disrespect to those two drivers, but they're much younger than Alonso. They don't have the track record. They won't apply pressure in the same way to the team and the wider organisation. They can grow with that team, provided they keep delivering on track, which they have been doing. Uh, And it just calms the whole process down because the drivers play a massive role um, in terms of how the team feels about itself, you know, they're the guys ultimately that everybody in that organisation is hanging their hats on on a Sunday afternoon. So um, if those guys aren't happy and they're throwing back pressure on the team, it can create a very negative atmosphere. Um, Norris and Science won't do that. Um, you know, to some extent or to a greater extent than Alonso, they're happy to be there. You know, um, and yeah, they're the, they as I say, they're the right drivers for that team at the moment. Yeah, McLaren have got the perfect lineup for where they are, as as Ben says, and that's not to say that either of those drivers are a better Formula One driver yet than Alonso is, but they're the right fit for the team. And you, st- there's two ways of looking at it. You could say the car's really good now, or has made a big step from where it was. Does that mean, you know, would it be even closer to the front if Alonso was in it? But you could also flip it the other way and say, would McLaren have made the amount of progress it has? if it had had the pressure of Alonso both internally and externally, because, you know, we know that Alonso talks a good game in the media as well. If he'd still been there, Ed, you talked about the importance of getting away from the short termism that caused McLaren so many problems. Arguably, if Alonso's still in the car, there could still be that element of desperation of, can we just get something else on the car this weekend? Should we gamble on this new part? And I feel that some of that pressure and urgency has been taken away and McLaren are reaping the benefits of that. And I, I I, can't see that it would have gone any better if Alonso had been there this year. And I think that's a huge credit to the drivers they have got. It's simplified things a lot, I think, not having Alonso there. Yeah, I think, you know, to answer the questions you posed in your answer, Glenn, on number one, would they have been slightly better off if, if Alonso had been in the car? Yes, but the gap is so big to the teams they're chasing, he wouldn't bridge that gap on his own. And, on the second part, you're absolutely right. By having him in there, you just put the team under so much more pressure to take unnecessary risks. And then you just potentially risk upsetting the whole apple cart, you know, adding parts of the car that don't work and then trying to unpick that if they don't work. At the moment, 
McLaren can work under much less pressure than it has been for many years. And that's exactly what that team needed. But I think we should avoid not giving enough credit to the, the drivers they've got because you know this is a very good pairing. Norris, oh, they've been uh, fantastic. Norris actually has got the slightly better qualifying record. Carlos Sainz is just wonderful at executing a race. He's so good in the races, just makes all the right decisions. All Similar the right to moves. Alonso in some respects. Yeah, he is. Yeah, in, in, in that regard. So I think they like that comparison as well. <laughs> I think they've got a really. I mean, he's just he's just so dependable, Sainz in, in the races, and they've been a bit unfortunate. Norris actually has had at least three good results taken away from him from uh, car problems, reliability problems. Uh, Spa, I guess, was uh, was uh, the recent example when he stopped right near the near the end. But they've just been just chipping away. They don't seem to have particularly bad weekends, qualifying well, racing well, just doing the job. And, that's, and I think actually Sainz, coming off a season last year, which I would say against expectations was the weakest of his of his grand prix career i did put that to him in uh, in sochi in fact he didn't he didn't argue it down too much but he's gone from being that slight disappointment last year where he didn't make all sports top 10 drivers to this year where if you were doing it now you'd be thinking actually he's kind of in your, your top six performers of the year because he's just been just so good well we've been talking about how you know, McLaren needed a driver lineup like that after the Alonso years and the difficult Honda years. I think Science also needed a team like McLaren and a two-year deal. You can see, I think, the benefit of him knowing that his future's not... That's exactly what you, you said know, in Sochi. Yeah, his future's not up for grabs at every race and at the end of the season, you know, his career has always been you know, on the Red Bull Junior scheme. Have I got a seat next year? Have I got a seat next year? It was the same at Renault with his loan deal and then um, going to McLaren, he... You can see he's just that little bit more relaxed and he's getting more out of himself. He's 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 added that consistency and toned down some of those kind of larier moments that you saw in some of his earlier races. And Norris has just been a well, an, a standout rookie performer, hasn't he? All those guys who stepped up from Formula 2 last year have been uh, exemplary, I think. I think there's an important point to clarify. It's very easy for this conversation to sound like we're saying McLaren's a midfield team. It's got a couple of solid midfield drivers as if we're saying that there's nothing really special there and they just that's what McLaren needed to plug in. These guys are doing a great job and I think that not only was it important that they get re-signed for next year, but I think now the Alonso question for McLaren is gone because these guys should be the basis of McLaren's long-term future and when the car does get better and the closer it gets to the front-running teams, these guys are good enough and deserve the opportunity to take that fight. What you don't want to do is have one of them have to be yoinked out of a seat if the if you know for 2021 for example because Alonso wants to come back. You know, these guys have earned the opportunity to be the ones that genuinely drive McLaren back to the front of the field and and they are good enough. Lando Norris had a phenomenal junior career that if he'd slotted into a top team as Lewis Hamilton did 12 years ago and started delivering immediately, you wouldn't be that surprised because his his record was was so good. So there's potentially still something very special there. And I think what you said, Ed, about the way science is executing races now is such a big step to show that he's not just someone with promise. He's someone who has become dependable and at a very high level. And we're about to come on to obviously talking a bit more about what we call the Class B race. You always look at whoever's in sixth or seventh, whoever's the front midfield car. Kevin Magnussen has said this in the past, hasn't he? Not so much this year. Um, but that you have to treat it as if you're leading the race and you have to drive the race as a race leader. And it's very different to to being third or fourth or in the pack and having to chase. 
And science, I think, particularly has been a master of that when he's got into that position. He doesn't just end up a couple of seconds off the front of the midfield. Sometimes he's 15 seconds up the road, and that's really impressive. Well, you mentioned Class B, Glenn. You are kind of the king of Class B, as you like doing tweets about uh, the, the standings. Class B, obviously, we eradicate the top three teams and then recreate the races as if there's just seven teams there, all the midfielders. Now, I'm glad you kept that column going in uh... <laughs> Yeah, it started out as a feature that Ben did. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good it's a good good way of looking at it. Um, now, looking in the in the bigger picture, obviously Renault is the the kind of benchmark that McLaren's judged against. McLaren are thirty three points ahead. Renault, it's not completely impossible they could make they could bridge that gap, but they're not going to, are they? Let's uh, let's face it. Cyril Abitable said recently uh, that that the results are a poor reward. Uh, since we returned from the summer break, the car is decent in terms of outright pace and in terms of potential do you do you agree with that Renault's been a bit messy this year hasn't it I think this has been a disastrous year for Renault Uh, Ed I'm going to borrow a line that you used repeatedly over the winter was that not only did Renault need to be fourth this year it needs to be a better fourth and you know they're not going to be fourth they're not going to catch McLaren you say that the gap's 33 points in the class b championship the gap's over 100 points and that's a massive testament to what McLaren has done. But it's a huge black mark against Renault. This is your customer team. You're giving them the same engine, the engine that should be optimised for your car. You had a huge head start on them last year because you were the fourth best team. And they've dropped the ball completely. They're and only just ahead of Racing Point and Toro Rosso on points in Class B. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's Renault on... Racing Point didn't even have the... The 2019 car until halfway through the season, did they? No, exactly. And I I think Renault were in a great position to kick on uh, this year, much like we'll be saying about McLaren this winter when it comes around. And they dropped the ball completely. They've built up their resources. It's it's taken time. Ben, I know that F1 Racing did a huge investigation into, into Renault's fortunes. And one of the key parts of that story was that actually what they picked up when they came back as a manufacturer was the bare bones of an F1 team. So it was a big job, but they've been given a reasonable amount of time. And even if they have turned the car around and you are seeing Ricardo and Hulkenberg more regular in Q3 now, that's not good enough. It's really not good enough. They should have been ahead of the midfield at the start of the year and they should have been pulling away to the point that if McLaren got his act together, McLaren slotted in as best of the rest of the midfield, not the clear best of the rest of the whole grid. Um, McLaren have have really put Renault in the shade. Yeah, there's there's an interesting parallel, I think, here with the Mercedes-Ferrari battle in Class A um, because Ferrari were in a good position over the last couple of seasons to kick on and and challenge Mercedes for the World Championship and they they messed up this year uh, and it's taken them most of the season to get the car in any kind of reasonable shape and now they're starting to pick off race wins with regularity but that is also partly track-specific. And Renault are kind of a low-res version of Ferrari in the sense that uh, they've improved on the engine side and you can see on the power tracks that they're not giving away much. And at Monza, they were quite strong. At Spa, they were quite strong. But at Monza, they were outstanding. Fourth and fifth, comfortably the midfield winners there. Yeah, but um, they've made a lot of mistakes this year. Just like Ferrari have, they haven't taken opportunities to, to get results that they well, could well, look, have. Look they at the could last have. two races in Singapore and Russia. Top 10 car, they've managed to come away with three points from those. Hulkenberg only just hung on after he had an engine problem late on. They botched a pit stop for him. Ricardo 
was in the top 10 in Singapore, but the MG UK spike in qualifying meant he was put down to the back. So they're, they're just really, really bad. at. We talked about science executing race as well. Renault as a whole as a team are not executing that, that mm-hmm. well. And that, that I don't think is really the driver's fault. Okay, no. Hulkenberg threw away a result in Hockenheim. Uh, with the with the off at the at the final uh, final couple of corners, but yeah, they're just not taking what is pretty good underlying car pace. It's only about point one something, point one three or something like that on average slower than McLaren, which is very little. But they're turning it into not a lot. Yeah, and and again, Ferrari, they've how many races have they messed up with? You know, needless team orders and and pointless stage management and overthinking. Um, so again, another comparison, and you know the the. the fundamental point for Renault is that yeah the engine has improved a fair bit this year but it's still unreliable but the car is just not good enough and they've done well on the on the low downforce tracks because they don't have enough downforce as soon as they have they go to circuits where it's a bit trickier they're just found wanting a bit just like Ferrari were until Singapore when they bought they bring up they bought their brig upgrade and they've started to look better but we've yet to really see Renault turn the corner with their chassis and that would be my my big doubt in terms of that project now but I, f- I feel they've since the break they have had reasonable pace but they're just not they're just not exploiting it because they often they often end up qualifying behind McLaren and they have race pace where they could be bothering McLarens in, in the races but they never are because Carlos Sainz has executed the first part of the race brilliantly and disappeared he's about, <laughs> he's, about half, he's about half a mile up the road and they just can't can't do anything about it i think this has been a really interesting year for renault ben's right that finally it seemed that they were getting somewhere at least with the performance of the engine and again up to now we'd had this kind of feeling that endstone for a long time has been presented almost as the little team that could you know that they'd had to work through the what, what i guess we call the lotus years where they produced some some good cars and, and won some races but the assumption was always that, yeah, they're doing a great job on the sort of team and operations side. And if, if Veery can just sort out the engine, then they've got a great package. Well, the engine arguably is better this year. And actually, it seems to me that Enstone probably dropped the ball a little bit. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think the other problem is, as you said, Ben, the underinvestment over the years. How much can you underinvest before the fundamental quality, underlying quality in that team that's been there for a long time gets diluted so much that it takes a long time to come back? They've expanded massively. They've changed a lot of the factory. They're making all the sort of right general decisions, but it seems to me the whole thing's not quite cohered yet. And while they have to take some responsibility for that, it could also just be a question of, of time, given how much it's changed. Yeah, quite similar to you know the McLaren process that we were talking about at the start of the podcast. You know, McLaren have realised that they need to make up for years of mistakes with longer term investments and longer term projects. And that, and they recognise that will take a long time to bear fruit. And Renault's probably bitten off a little bit more than it can chew by having to build up uh, an engine programme from an underinvested basis going back to the Flavio Briatore years and then picking up uh, their old team, Enstone, and having to build that back up from less than scratch because of the you know the chronic underinvestment of the later Lotus years. That's a lot to be doing all at once while also chasing aggressive targets that you, you are setting to justify your board's investment. McLaren, they can focus on their race team and, as we've talked about, just pick and choose basically which engine package they can they can bolt in and they don't have to worry about investing in the development of that and all the infrastructure and people. Renault have to do both at once and so far haven't quite been able to do both at once to the required level. And it's hard because McLaren are now getting strong. Racing Point 
are only going to get stronger in the uh, the Lawrence Stroll uh, headed consortium that's that's invested heavily there. They've had a difficult season, but they're getting getting their act together now, and they were very very quick in the race. Sergio Perez had a really good race at Sochi, so there's there's all this competition there for for Renault to uh, to take on. So it's, yeah, it's very tough for them. They've arguably been quite lucky that Haas has had such a mess of a season as well, because that had become one of their main rivals. And if Haas were executing at the level we've become used to in the last year or two, they would be the ones battling McLaren for fourth. And suddenly Renault is sixth. And you know, you're talking about the trajectory that other teams are on. Racing point, you'd certainly think, could go in the right direction and have finally shown visibly that they're going to make big changes to the aero concepts of that car. Alfa Romeo, you'd only expect to continue to get stronger as, as their time as a a serious, well-invested team takes them further and further away from what would become their Sauber DNA, you could say. So the, the pressure is going to be on massively and you, you can't even assume that, you know, Williams have got a huge rebuild on their hands. But if they get it right in 2021, big questions are going to be asked. Renault should be clear of all this. We shouldn't be talking about any of these teams, whether it's McLaren, Haas, Alpha, anyone else, as being in Renault's league. Renault are supposed to be the ones trying at the moment to kind of lasso themselves onto the the class a race at the front they should be there already according to their original timeline shouldn't they absolutely yeah, five years and this comes back to again when people talk a good game and Renault. it seemed at the time they were talking quite sensibly it was like right we're going to be incremental steps we're starting from a low base they didn't do the mclaren thing of saying we've come in this is going to be brilliant immediately they offered quite a sensible path and they've not even been able to stick to that. And that's why I think this year is is such a blip for them because everything was going along quite nicely. But when, in a way, the pressure really ratcheted up for this year, this was a time, as Ben says, that they had to try and bridge that gap. And it looks like they've overreached. Well, exactly. And and especially with McLaren doing so well, which is where we started, that's put it on even more pressure because they've got the same engine and then... The, the performance is just very clearly there for uh, Renstone. They, they need to need to do better. Uh, well, thanks very much, Ben Anderson and Glenn Freeman, for your insight on McLaren and the rest of the Formula One midfield. Uh, do check out autosport.com for all the latest on Formula One and the rest of the world of motorsport and pick up a copy of Autosport magazine out every Thursday. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing magazine out monthly and Motorsport News. And if you like this podcast, please do subscribe for free, usually out every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo. Written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.